seated. Would you join me in our prayer of illumination? Prepare our hearts, O Lord, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may also obey your will. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our scripture lesson is found in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, beginning at verse 43. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of jo Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Jesus answered, do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Let's pray. Bless, O Lord, the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. All of us are familiar with the old Indian parable in which six blind men touch a different part of an elephant and as a result have a different image of what the elephant must look like. They all disagree, but each is absolutely certain that they're right. That's a long way of saying our perspectives that we hold, we often hold them very dearly. We believe them be, to be true, and we will, as my mother used to say, argue with a fence post. There's a new study out called Intellectual Humility, in which it recognizes that we cannot know all. We cannot have enough perspective to understand everything. And actually, if we think we do, then that's exactly what's preventing us from learning and growing. The study indicates that we have a blind spot bias. All of us do. It's one of those quirky things that has us believing that we must be knowing enough or more than the average bear and therefore in that knowing must be better than others. Those who are unaware of their blind spots 
and have great knowledge and high IQ will often come off as arrogant, unwilling to listen to others. And those who are of lesser esteem and think less of themselves, those, you know, the type that says, I've never been good at math, I'm not ever going to be good at math. That personality type can often entrench itself because it needs to be heard no matter what the opinion. It's true of politics and religion, of fashion and lifestyle. We have this bias that prevents us from learning and experiencing more and worst of all being open to it. What would have happened if our disciples had been unwilling to be open to a complete stranger who invited them to come and follow and they did. What was it? What was it about our Jesus that allowed people to, to drop everything that they owned and every relationship that they had, even their employment and well-being, and walk off and follow him? What was it that compelled them to believe in his wisdom and their lack of it? To know that something more beyond them was present and ready for them to receive. We've got to be aware of those blind spots if we're ever going to have that kind of screwed down courage to follow the Jesus that calls us today. An article by Joshua Taylor this week indicated, uh, and I read it because of the opening line, he, it said, um, I had to quit watching the woman on the beach. I had to read that article. Where was he going with that? Well, apparently he had gotten up this morning to watch a sunset, I mean, a sunrise rather, and it was so beautiful, and this woman not too far from him was bent over texting and swiping and tapping on her phone. It was driving him nuts. He wasn't surprised, though, because the day before, there must have been vacationing near each other, and she was walking in even in the water, texting on that phone. And he felt so sad for her. And then he said the Holy Spirit came to him and said, you should know. You're so engaged in observing and judging her, you're missing the sunset too. <laughs> Truth is, we don't know where we're blind. And the scriptures invite us today into a different kind of an epiphany. An epiphany where the light comes on and we meet Jesus as Jesus is and respond to that. There are three things I want to share with you briefly. One is that Jesus is the one who finds them first. I celebrate that. O-M-G. 
He keeps calling and coming to us and being invitational. And even when Nathaniel says to him, can there anything good really come out of Nazareth? That small little dinky town? Because big leaders were supposed to come out of big cities with big powers, not dinky little Nazareth. And Philip has the wisdom to say, I don't know. I don't know. Just come and see. Come and see. Because Jesus is the one who's calling. And if you and I want to find out what it means to be happy people, we've got to follow something other than our nose. There's a wonderful article I read about hedonism and eudonymics, eudonymics, it's a new word, I don't get it right. Anyway, one is hedonistic behavior, seeks pleasure, downplays pain. Let's avoid it if we can figure it out. There's a part of that in all of us. The eudonic side says there's got to be a greater goal. There's got to be a greater good. And so we go after that knowing that in the midst of that greater good, we might actually experience some difficulty or discomfort, maybe even pain. Don't you bet that the disciples, when they knew them, they were dropping everything, that they were headed for some pain. At least question, if not challenge, if not downright struggle. Tomorrow being Martin Luther King Day, I decided to go back and read the letter from Birmingham Jail. And in it he reflects on the fact that when, when Germany was discriminating against the Jews of the day, everything he did was legal. Everything that the Hungarians did at that length of time was illegal because they were protesting and standing up and sheltering Jews and caring for those who were, were being discriminated against at the time. Martin Luther King Jr. goes on to say that had he been in that era, he believes he would have done exactly what the resistance movements did in that day. The question he raises is could we possibly understand that the real struggle is not in our minds but in what we do? For there were plenty of people saying, oh, we support your cause, we just don't support how you're doing it. Is that not worse? Is that not worse? than doing nothing at all. That was his challenge. Friends, the Lord is calling us not to sit warmly in our pews or even chillily so, but inviting us into a mission and ministry that is designed for the transformation of the world. Do you know that you're being equipped and called into a ministry of concern for others, of sacrifice on others' behalf, on their well-being? 
And that when you join that, you're not only going to find Jesus, but you're going to find yourselves. The magic of this discovery is that when Jesus meets us, we figure out who we were supposed to be. What a tremendous opportunity it is to be among God's people and figure it out so that we look like Christ and we act like Christ and we are Christ in the world. In South Sudan, it was reported this week that since 2013, it's the largest health crisis and immigration, or not immigration, but refugee crisis in the world in all times. What they're discovering uh, through the Doctors Without Borders is that they're always late to get the help to people because of blockades or getting people there in time and getting the supplies and all of that stuff. It's just a constant struggle. And they actually have a department of failed missions. I love that because it's in that context. Two new preachers, you just wait and see. You wait and see. I love it when they cry. If you cry in church, there you go. They have an office of failed missions because it's in discovering what their failures are that they're learning and they're growing as an organization. And so do you know what they've done? They have started packing 12 and a half pounds in book bags. And they're filled with antibiotics and wound care and water purification tablets and hydrating solution things and you name it. Those, each packet is designed to care for 50 to 70 people for two weeks of time. These people are having to leave with such hurry, all they can do is run for their lives and grab their children. And so in the process, can they pick this up and take their help and their support with them? What an amazing idea. What would happen if nobody was looking to learn and to find out or to come and see what Jesus was offering in our failures as well as our successes. That's intellectual humility. The church is the one place where we say, here we come together to equip ourselves to reach out to the world and to change it. And yet we will probably be the most unlikely ones to look at another who doesn't come and say, come join me, come and see. We have a discomfort or an, a dis-ease or a lack of experience in doing these things. I don't say it as a criticism you, as much as of me, 